0: It's an emergency. He said he said it's emergency and it is an emergency. I
1: don't know if it's because he's so kind and quiet when he delivers the information that they don't understand. This is a huge emergency. I'm Jill Shaw and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning.
0: Good morning, Jill. It was a really interesting meeting last night.
1: It really was. And I think that, Ross, before you talk about the superintendent's report, we should mention that Chair Jerry Robinson opened the meeting with this statement.
2: If you have other topics that are not being discussed tonight, we, we're gonna I'm gonna ask that you focus on asking questions with regard to the issues that we are reporting on, and again, hold any questions for future. Um, presentations
1: i don't know it seems like censorship maybe in some fashion seems
0: like you, you could only ask a question if the superintendent covers it in her report
1: well spoiler alert and thank god no one paid attention to that direction and people did reflect back people did ask good questions there was great conversations led by school committee members and the public and we're about to cover that for you but ross why don't you kick us off with what the superintendent opened with last night
0: well, Jill, before I get into the superintendent's report, the meeting began with the recognition of a number of educators who have received national board certification. This is really the highest honor for or the highest achievement for many of our teachers. So it's awesome to see this every year that teachers continue the professional growth and it's great recognition for them. Yeah. The meeting then moved on to the superintendent's report where the superintendent began with an announcement about the O'Brien School not moving to West Roxbury Academy and the Madison Park school is still going to move forward, I guess, with some sort of construction happening in September of 25.
1: So uh, Diego Mata, who's the student member of the school committee, I think asked the question that was on everyone's mind.
2: I just wanted to ask,
3: I know it's still early, but like, what does this decision kind of mean in terms of how it's going to affect Madison's new campus?
0: Right. and And the superintendent responds-
2: so it, we're actually able to move forward. It means somewhat less space for Madison, but it doesn't compromise the programs. That's the essential. The one one of the things that we won't be able to do is move forward with the reinvention of the adult ed center, which was part of that. You know, the the uh, the design that could have worked with the whole complex.
1: But I think the bigger question, right, is the one that member Stephen Alkins asks, and he makes a statement. About the lack of the use of the rubric and the rush timing of the announcement that's den- now being reversed.
3: I also feel like as a committee, this was something that n- didn't really come across our desk at a you know to a point where we discussed it at great length. So I think it it took well at least me I'll speak for myself it took me by surprise in early October to sort of see this and hear this and then especially I think the timing of it with then like a few weeks later sort of getting to hear a a wonderful presentation on our decision-making rubric and sort of thinking about, huh, this would have been a wonderful tool to sort of think about the O'Brien School in, in this situation.
0: And member Credit Hernandez asks, what have we learned from all of this?
3: I am curious, like, what did we learn specifically and what will we do differently? I think, you know, the critique Externally, to Dr. Alkin's point, right, it was we were we were in the middle of launching a master facilities plan, which has since become a rubric. But before it, we announced a major change in building utilization, one that felt like had really serious racial undertones, right, around moving the most diverse exam schools to a mostly white neighborhood.
1: Not only what did we learn from all of this, but now given that Madison Park renovation has been announced, is happening in 2025, what's the budget for that? Right. And has it been run through the rubric? Is the plan still to double the number of students? If so, what is the impact on the other high schools?
0: Right. And Jill, like, what are the enrollment projections for the next 10 years? Like, We haven't seen any data on the enrollment projections. What about... Our increasing immigrant population that we've heard about in the superintendent's report and our students with who are multilingual learners and what about special education and inclusionary planning like all of these details are really important
1: the superintendent then moved on to an update on transformation schools which is required by the state as part of the systemic improvement plan or sip there are 39 transformation schools in the district it's about a quarter of all schools in the district transformation schools meaning these are deemed underperforming and given additional budgets
0: to help improve. That's right, Jill. They're called transformation schools because they're meant to transform. Right. We should be seeing better growth for all of these students. Like we should, these students should be outperforming students in other schools. We should see better attendance. We should uh, see... Meaning we
1: should see the results of the investment.
0: Uh, exactly. Right. And, and if these are the schools that are essentially are the lowest performing in the state right. and we're putting more investments into them and we're paying a lot of attention to them, we have a, we have a department just dedicated to them, we should be seeing exponential growth for these schools. But we're not seeing that at all. We're not at all. We're not at all. In fact, we're seeing absentee rates that are like massively problematic. We've seen like maybe a decrease in one or two points on chronic absenteeism, but overall we have a 55% rate of chronic absenteeism in our transformation high schools.
1: Mike Savin who's the executive director of District and School Transformation said there's a 55% chronic absenteeism rate anything over 50 and we should be deeply alarmed
0: It's an emergency he it's, said he said it's an emergency and yeah. it is an emergency I
1: don't know if it's because he's so kind and quiet when he delivers the information that they don't <laughs> understand this is a huge emergency I,
0: I heard him I heard him to say it quite clearly a number of times Very articulate and, and then Jill I just you know sometimes we overlook some of the data that's presented in these presentations, like yes. all these slides, yes. but I just want to point out some data points from the presentation last night yeah. from the transformation schools and non-transformation schools. So we have mid-year reading data on map fluency. What it's showing in transformation schools, we have about 39% of our first graders yep. are meeting standards in transformation right. schools.
1: But that, just stop for a minute. So so our six-year-olds, a little over a third of our six-year-olds in this city in Boston Public Schools. Are reading at grade level. Are reading at grade right. level. It, th- this is their second year in the district.
0: That's right. And in, and in, Jill, non-transformation schools, it's about 49%. So less than half of our students in our non-transformation schools are reading at grade level. But, Jill, it gets worse. In transformation schools in grade two, yeah. 14% of our students.
1: So it dips down, 39 percent To, to 14%, 14% of our students are reading at grade level. In the following year when and, you're seven years old.
0: When you're seven years old. You're significantly it, off grade it, level. These numbers drop dramatically from kindergarten through grade two, from the data that was presented last night. In non-transformation schools, these are all the other schools, 27, just 27% of our students are reading at grade level. Right. This is, Mike Sabin noted that there was an emergency with chronic absenteeism. I would argue there's an emergency with our student performance. And this by by nobody this asking
1: this is beyond an emergency because what happens in 3rd grade when you're not on grade level in reading all kinds of bad things you, happen they, right you're tied to all kinds of horrible outcomes as an adult you
0: have until grade 2 to learn to read right. and now you're reading to learn at 3rd grade it looks like from these data that less than a quarter of our students are ready to learn to read to learn Jill, the, I don't understand asked. how
1: the chair, who's such an advocate for elementary school students and elementary schools in this city, I don't understand how her head wasn't spinning. Like the, this, is, the, this is—I I don't know—so upsetting. I also
0: don't know how we're wasting time talking about building new buildings right. when we're failing so many of our students in our current buildings. Right.
1: Brandon Cardet Hernandez asks about the chronic absentee rates in transformation schools. And here's the back and forth between member Cardet Hernandez and Mike Sabin.
3: Is there a school that has the sort of highest level of chronic absenteeism that's on the city's
0: radar?
4: We are looking very carefully at the chronic absenteeism of all schools. There are
0: there are a set of there's not one school that stands out, but there are a few schools that are over that. Any school over the 50 percent is obviously really an emergency. And that is um, the majority of the transformation high schools. So that really is what we're focused on.
4: One school does not stand out.
3: There's not like a set of schools that are higher than the rest of the schools in the portfolio. Yes, there are. There, there, is, there are a set of schools that are higher than the rest of the schools in the portfolio.
0: By higher meaning higher chronic absenteeism. In other words, not what we want to see. Yes, they are. With the average of 55, anyone over that is really high. But even schools at 50, that's very, very high and would be considered an emergency.
3: I'm just curious, like, how high does it get across our system? Like,
0: I think, I think the highest is 61 or 62 right now. Jill, overall, so it is about chronic absenteeism, but just as we noted, it's also about our literacy performance, it's also about our math performance, it's also about overall low growth. So, not only are we seeing incredibly low performance, we're seeing below average growth. Right. in these transformation schools and our schools overall.
1: Why is, why is growth important?
0: Well, we would expect that a student would achieve about 40 to 60% growth average mm-hmm. over the course of a year. That's a standard year of growth. Yep. That's what we, if you go to school every day for right. 180 days a year, you grow somewhere between 40 and 60%, which is about a grade level. Mm-hmm. That's what we expect in our system. And then you advance to the next And you grade advance level. to the next grade level. Right. Our students are performing below 40% growth. And we're
1: pushing them into the next grade level and then they're underperforming there and this just starts and, to... And,
0: and I don't know how per- Right. I don't know and then with all of these data, how is our graduation rate it go up every year? right? This is important because parents should know that if your student goes to a Boston public school right. and successfully goes through coursework year after year, that they will be graduate ready for a college and career. That's what we should be giving to our uh, the guarantee to every family should be that. These data are telling us we are not doing that.
1: That's right. I mean, it is it, the most important question that any parent can ask any teacher in any parent teacher conference is is my child on grade level the other question that was exactly the question asked last night was by member cardette hernandez who asked this i
3: continue to wonder sort of how long does a school stay in transformation where we as the sort of decision makers decide this is no longer a viable choice for
0: families and the superintendent response
2: well i think the other thing that executive director sabin we that we did is a decision point with schools that had three years of declining data, we didn't wait for those students, those schools to be identified with being proactive in supporting those schools as if they were transformation. So we have a tendency to wait until something's labeled before we give the support. So I think that's a change of both practice and philosophy.
1: So not only does the superintendent not answer the question, she pivots into talking about how she's proactively creating more transformation schools as if this is a good thing.
0: This is not doubling down on a strategy that's not working for our students doesn't work. And and so there is a question overall about why are we continuing to offer seats to parents in failing schools? Why would we say to more than a quarter of our families in Boston Public Schools, hey, go to these schools. Your child will be fine Why would they
1: even show up on a list of of schools that you can pick? It, It seems like at what point it, do we just I think this is his point it, it, should this whole thing combust and we just restart.
0: Let's be clear. This is not any student's fault. Yeah. Every one of our students is capable. Every one of our students is capable of achieving like any other student in our school system or any other city or town in our country. We have such a culture of low expectations in Boston. It's unbelievable. We let these data continue to happen. These schools should absolutely be it's closed and restarted and we should start over again. It is not the kid's fault. It is the adult's fault.
1: Right. Very low expectations. I think that's exactly right. Moving along, the superintendent mentioned an update about newcomers um, into the school. There are 82 new immigrant students who have entered BPS recently, and the superintendent said more families and their students will continue to enter BPS. Member Chantel Lima Barbosa made this comment about support for families and how this factors into the BPS budget
2: will be key for us to truly be able to support our, our migrants' families, because this is not something that's going to stop now. So as we are having budget conversations, how are we making these a little bit more systematic? And the superintendent responded. Thank you. And, and I, what you're raising is so critical because it's, you know, it's interesting because in our enrollment, our enrollment is stabilizing and yet it is changing. And then John Mudd actually
1: answers the member's question during public comment by stating that the budget actually calls for a reduction in staff.
4: The budget detail documents show that although the enrollment of English learners remains steady, BPS is proposing a major reduction of $11.4 or 8%, in the program budget for ELs. School committee members need to ask why this is happening and where the cuts are coming from. The all-funds budget also states that there will be a major reduction of 53 bilingual teachers and 32 bilingual aides from the schools, and an additional 20 bilingual teachers and aides from the central office. This is a total cut of 105 bilingual teaching positions, or nearly 10% from the current operating level. The superintendent has said that the appearance of cuts is wrong because there's been a recodification of positions. I've asked BPS for an explanation, but haven't received anything yet. Please ask for the, how this recodification shows up in staff cuts in one place and where there are staff increases in another.
0: It's wonderful to hear John Mudd each meeting. He has a very rational way of looking at things, and they're grounded in the budget. And clearly, why, if we have new immigrants, we have this stable but changing environment, but the budget to support those new immigrants is actually decreasing.
1: You know, though, Ross, like if there was a master plan and a strategy for the district, it would acknowledge that this is a trend. We have more and more students in Boston public schools who don't speak English as their native language. They haven't been in this country for very long. And we'd have a conversation about how do we support them? And, and how do we help them succeed?
0: So Joe, this has been a debate around, that we've heard in previous meetings, around how are we educating our multilingual learners. Right. And we should do so, especially recent immigrants to our country who may have had disrupted education. We should surround them with educational supports they will learn the language rather quickly yeah. over time yeah. um, and they will do incredibly well. Yeah. But we have to be intentional about the supports we're providing our students right. and, and where they're learning and how they're learning.
1: Absolutely. And and if this is a growing population within our district and we should really be talking about how does how the budget fit into this? How does our strategy fit into this? How does where they are in school fit into this? Like right. what is? What are the, how do we benefit one another with the best implementation?
0: The meeting moved on to a couple of presentations. And one of the presentations was on the Student Opportunity Act.
1: Russ, just remind us, what is the Student Opportunity Act?
0: Sure, Jill. This is a, this is a state-level initiative in which put more funding through the foundation budget into our districts across the state. And essentially, in doing so, said to districts but you must submit a plan to the Department of Education noting the evidence-based practices that you're using to improve student learning and so this is a requirement uh, the last one was submitted in 2020 the beginning of Student Opportunity Act implementation and there's a requirement to submit in March of 24 for state funding essentially the district last night presented on some characteristics of the Student Opportunity Act that they're going to submit to the state and that included Early literacy instruction, mm-hmm. it included early college pathways and high school pathways, and it included hiring uh, more diverse teachers.
1: What I thought was interesting, though, is, is you mentioned to me that this curriculum's been used for over a decade, right? I mean, we have data right now on how well this curriculum works based on right. how well students are performing. It's not very well.
0: The interesting part of this presentation last night yeah. was around these early literacy curriculum materials. Yeah. And uh, th- we use a, we've probably use for about a decade, a homegrown literacy program, Focus on Literacy, I believe it's called. Yeah. I just read to you some data around early literacy results. This curriculum is, th- this is the curriculum that's used essentially to get those results. Right. So basically the district said, we're gonna, we're gonna submit our SOA, our Student Opportunity Act, and we're gonna focus on implementation doubling down on implementation of these materials and Mm. professional development for educators on these materials. And there was questions asked by school committee members saying, are these really high quality materials? To which the response was, well, we tried to get them approved, but it turns out we can't get them approved as high quality materials because they're a mismatch of a bunch of different strategies. So no, they're not high quality materials. It's
1: a head scratcher. It's a head
0: scratcher. We got to do something better here, Jill. Like there, there's someone. Seems like it. I, I
1: mean, but that is what the ELL task force was lobbying for, and ultimately it disbanded because it didn't want to be a party to what was happening.
0: That's right. That's right. So I, we're going to see more about this because there will be a vote on the Student Opportunity Act right. submission from the school committee. So we'll see a little bit more on this topic, and we'll see if anything changes to the next presentation. Well,
1: not only will there be a vote, but Member Tran made the statement during the meeting that right now he doesn't. They don't have his vote. Because he wanted to know, how did the, the folks who used to be on the task force, how, how, what do they think about this? Right. Did and they
0: approve these materials yeah. for English language learners? he
1: saw the results too. He was not satisfied with the materials that they presented and with uh, the data that they presented that said this curriculum's not working.
0: It's really concerning.
1: Yeah. The other presentation of the evening was the application to the Massachusetts School Building Authority for the BCLA McCormick School. So you may recall that Mayor Wu announced in her State of the City address in January that this school would partner with UMass Boston. And last night, the presentation was focused on an application that would go to the state to secure funding from the state for a new building. In the presentation to the school committee last night, there was no budget, no strategy around curriculum, no strategy around the partnership with UMass Boston, no demand data, and no enrollment projections. This led, of course, to a series of questions from
0: very smart school committee members. So first, member Credit Hernandez had several questions about the BCLA McCormick proposal.
3: I am just curious, you mentioned like a assessment of demand, and I am I'm curious like how are we assessing demand long term and what's the data points that we're using? Is the school currently fully enrolled? And then what is the enrollment today versus what you are projecting once it's built? Or is it on, is it one of the schools that are being held harmless because of under enrollment?
0: Followed by these questions from member Lima Barbosa.
2: Have we seen community meetings about the school from community asking for this demand? Um, what is UMass participation a little bit on this as well? So just just wanted to hear more on like the community ask beyond like data is important, but I just want to know how yeah. long this has been a conversation yeah. and to finally get it in this process and potentially get in this funding like it's 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 important, but I I, I, I hear I hear my fellow member, but just wanted to hear more on what the community wants. And
1: then member Cardet Hernandez mentions that he doesn't have enough information to vote yes.
3: I know this is really tough stuff. And so I appreciate everything you do. I hope it it doesn't appear that I don't. For the vote, I for me, for whatever it's worth, I'll need a little more clarity on like the financial picture so that I'm not just voting yes on something that like feels good and sounds good, but that like still allows me to feel like I have clarity around our sort of fiscal responsibilities here as well,
0: you know? to which Vice Chair O'Neill says,
4: I just want to point out that as the school committee, we do not vote on the capital budgets of the city. The the mayor decides what they want to allocate, the city council votes on that. So we actually never get to vote on a capital spend, even for our buildings. As part of our budget, we do get to vote on, a part of the budget that the superintendent presents to us includes maintenance and things like that. But it's always been a nebulous area, right? Because we're the governance body for the schools. We don't actually get to vote on and decide, build this building versus that building, that type of thing.
0: And Chief of Capital Planning, Stanislaus, tries to remind the committee and the public that this is about long-term planning. I'm going to be honest. The MSBA core
1: projects and all construction projects take time. It's unlikely that today's students will be impacted. But this is a multi-generational investment, and we will continue to make a necessary upgrades to maintain a safe, well-functioning learning space for students. So if this is about long-term and capital planning, Ross, where is the master plan? Because MSBA funding is not, it's not like it's 100% funding for this building.
0: No, it's a, so you're applying for part of the funding for this building. Right. And th- there is capital money. That will be put in by BPS right. for this, right. or by Boston for this. These are these are like half, half a billion, billion dollars. Yeah, half a billion yes. to a billion dollars. Yeah. Chill. This is exhausting that we have the same conversation at every <laughs> every meeting. Yeah. Because I kind of feel like we're at, we're left after each meeting saying, "Wait a minute, did we miss something? Like, yeah. where is the budget? Where is the plan? Where is the long term f- facilities plan?" And no, 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 we didn't miss anything. Meeting well, after meeting, they're just they're not. Presenting, I think school committee is
1: getting frustrated with this. Though I mean, you can kind of hear it in their questions. I'd also just have to
0: mention that the Edward M. Kennedy School is another school. There was a big announcement about two weeks ago. They're getting this major grant from the Bloomberg Philanthropies to partner with MGB to double their enrollment. But nobody knows where their building is. They don't have a building to double enrollment. So like, there's all these. We can't lead by announcements. We have to lead by strategy. Well and now we have a rubric.
1: Plan. We have a rubric that we're not using. Uh,
0: and we gotta mention one other thing, Vice Chair O'Neill tried to remind us that but don't worry, school committee doesn't vote on capital budget. The the mayor decides that. With the yeah. city council, but that's actually not true. The school committee does vote on every one of these projects, just like this one. They're voting on this one, right. and that will become part of the capital plan. So let's not like we've had this debate last year around the budget. Oh, yes. don't, if you vote no, it doesn't matter; just goes to the, the the city council. It does matter. Don't take away the authority from the school committee. It, they have the authority. So. I would respectfully disagree with Mr. O'Neill that yeah. in fact, the school committee members do vote on every one of these projects. The capital budget is then presented to the school committee and the city council for an overall vote.
1: I did think that was such a strange statement. It effectively was saying, "Hey, guys, we're just here. take out your rubber stamp."
0: And one other thing we should mention at last night's meeting, Jill, is the head of Ways and Means Committee and city Councillor Brian Worrell made this statement during public comment.
4: in a spirit of collaboration, Boston Public Schools has committed to working with the council on the budget before it is approved by the school committee on March 27th.
0: This is a big deal. Like To have the city council basically work with, with the superintendent and her team prior to the school committee approving the budget means that the city council will be essentially shaping the budget prior to approval. This is a really big deal.
1: Right, And he's saying that BPS is already committed. To working with the council, so if so, he goes on to talk about all of the different things that they want to understand <laughs> about the budget in a line by line fashion. But he's, it he, it he, actually he, goes back to my other point, though, about like that he, this is this is meet your new board of ed.
0: It is. I mean, he but he's representing. They're elected, and they're representing their constituents and they're going to start saying you're cutting my school right. by x number of positions right. you're merging these classrooms you haven't given that data we're going to make you give us that data and we're going to advocate for our schools
1: Wait, can we just go through this again though in the spirit of collaboration boston public schools meaning the superintendent has committed to working with the council on the budget so so the mayor has asked the superintendent to work directly with the council on approving the budget and prior to there, the school committee to approve it yes <laughs> is there to tell the school committee
0: that you don't need we don't need you
1: basically.
0: He's saying, hey, we got this. Uh, we're representing the community. You all don't worry about it. We're going to create the budget that represents the interests of our constituents.
1: And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School
0: Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your students, please send us an email at podcast at shahfoundation.org. That's
1: Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.